Well, good morning again. Welcome to Phoenix Bible Church. We're glad to have you here. My name is Tim. I'm the pastor here. If you're new, uh, I would love to meet you after the service in the back. Scott talked about our Connect Desk, which is in that uh, lobby lounge area, if you will. You can get connected, serve uh, in all sorts of ways in our church. We'd love for you to do that uh, before you leave today. Uh, This morning, uh, we're continuing in the book of Proverbs in our study of wisdom, and we come to a a hefty topic, to be honest with you, and it's the topic of sex. And as we come to this topic, we address it for a few reasons. Really, the first reason is our culture addresses sex every day. Uh, You know this as you read magazines, as you read books, as you watch movies, you see sex everywhere you go, right? You can't escape it. The problem with that is that the majority of the time, our culture distorts sex, It's not an accurate view of sex, but they're speaking about it all the time. You see it everywhere you go. So that's the first reason we're going to address this topic. The second reason we're going to address this topic of sex is because God designed sex. God created sex, and he did so for your good and for his glory. It's to be a joyful gift, a blessing to be experienced. And so we want to talk about what does that actually look like? Listen, If non-Christians, if our culture can talk about sex unashamedly, if we can write about it and read about it and make movies about it in a sinful way, then Christians, the church at large, how much more should we talk about it? How much more should we talk about it in the way God designed it for his glory, for our good? How much more should we talk about it in the church and be a voice speaking wisdom in such a crucial area of sex? And then the third reason we talk about it this morning, and the most important reason, is we go through the Bible, and the Bible talks about sex. And so we're going through the book of Proverbs. As we look at that book, in the first nine chapters of the book of Proverbs, which is really the introduction, it's a long introduction. In those first nine chapters, Solomon talks about sex on five separate occasions. It's in three different chapters out of nine. It's a big deal. God knew when he inspired this scripture through Solomon, he knew that as we talk about wisdom, that one of the biggest areas of our life that we would need it would be sex. And so we address that this morning. So I'd invite you to grab a Bible. If you don't have one, there should be one on the floor in front of you. Pull it up on your phone. Go to Proverbs chapter 5. That's where we'll start. We'll skip around a little bit. We're going to start in Proverbs 5. As you turn there, let me pray. Father in heaven, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for this gift of sex. I thank you that we can talk about that in church because you talk about it in your word. God, I pray for these men and women this morning. I pray as they have tons of thoughts in their life, as they had a busy morning, as they have sickness in their family, as they have sexual sin, as they have a past of sexual brokenness. And even if they don't, God, I pray for all of us in this room that you would focus our gaze fix our eyes on Jesus Christ, the one who redeems sex, who restores it to its original design, and who enables us to experience it in a beautiful way. God, I pray that you would do that this morning by your spirit, through your word. It's in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, let's get right into it. Look at your Bible. Look at your phone. Look at the screen. Proverbs chapter 5. Solomon, inspired by the Holy Spirit, says this. Verse 1, my son, be attentive to my wisdom, incline your ear to my understanding, 
that you may keep discretion and your lips may guard knowledge. For the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil, but in the end she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death, her steps follow the path of Sheol. She does not ponder the path of life, her, way, her ways wander, and she does not know it. O oh, now, sons, listen to me. Do not depart from the words of my mouth. Keep your way far from her, and do not go near the door of her house, lest you give your honor to others and your years to the merciless. Lest strangers take their fill of your strength, and your labors go to the house of slaughter. And at the end of your life, you groan when your flesh and body are consumed. And you say, how I hated discipline, and my heart despised reproof. This is written as a father to his son, warning him of adultery, of sexual immorality. He says in verse 3, look at verse 3. He says, there's a forbidden woman that her lips drip honey. And that day, honey would have been the sweetest substance they could find. He says her speech is smoother than oil. What he's saying is this is attractive, right? That this distortion of sex that he's warning about, of adultery, of sexual immorality, he's saying it doesn't look gross, that it looks tasteful, that it looks appealing. He's saying her lips drip honey, her speech is smoother than oil. And when he says the forbidden woman, well, that could be literally a seductive woman. More broadly, it's talking about a worldview, a mentality in that day that we see in our day a distortion of sex that we see everywhere in our culture, that that's what we're up against, that Solomon, as he writes this as a father to a son, that that's what he's up against. He's letting him know, son, you need to take my words, keep them in your heart. This is a really big deal. It's going to entice you. It's going to be sweet. It's going to be appealing. Don't go there. And so if you're a woman uh, and you're thinking this forbidden woman, and maybe you've read Proverbs before, and you're like, oh, it's all the woman's fault. That's not necessarily what he's saying, right? He's not pinning it on the seductive woman. There are seductive women, but that's not the point of this passage. That's not the point of Proverbs. You see, Proverbs, remember, is poetry. It's wisdom literature. Oftentimes, he's painting a picture, right? And so you have Lady Wisdom. You have Madam Folly. You have the Forbidden Woman. What he's describing, what he's painting a picture of is this path, this path in, in this regard of sexual sin, of going outside of God's design to experience sex. So that's the forbidden woman, and we see where this path leads. Verse 5, her feet go down to death. Her steps follow the path to Sheol. That's the place of the dead. He says in verse 8, keep far away from her. Don't go near the door of her house. And listen, I know some of you are thinking, I've heard this before. Maybe you've grown up in church and all you've heard about sex is guilt and shame and legalism. And you're thinking, this is the same old thing. Like, don't go near it. Stay far away. It's a bad thing. And it's bringing up all those feelings as you think about sex and listen to me this morning. Some of you aren't Christians. And you're thinking, this is exactly what I thought. God, Christians, and the Bible, they're trying to sap all the joy and fun out of life. Like they're disconnected from reality. They don't understand how the world works. Like, don't you understand? We've moved past this. Like, you don't understand. We're trying to have fun. We're ha having a joyful thing. Why don't you understand that Christians are always prude, sexually oppressed? Like, you hear this, right? You hear this from friends of yours. Like, this is the perception of the church is that we don't like sex. And so listen, I want to clear the head up right now. 
God loves sex. If you're taking notes, you need to write that down. God loves sex. If you don't believe me, read the Song of Solomon. Hey, just read it. You're going to blush when you read that. It's in the Bible talking about sex. Don't even read Song of Solomon. Just skip down to later in the book of Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 5. He says this, let her breasts fill you at all times with delight. You need to know, in case we're not clear, that's not just procreation. Like, I don't know if you know how it works, but that's not just procreation. God, the book of Proverbs, Song of Solomon, presents sex is a good thing. God loves sex. Listen, I love sex. Phoenix Bible Church loves sex. All Christians should love sex. God loves you. God loves sex. It's meant to be a good thing, a glorifying thing. He wants you to get married, and he wants you to have a blast. He created it. Listen, God's not surprised by sex. He designed it. Like, he knows how it should work in a God-honoring way, in a joyful way. It's a great idea. Right? It's one of the best gifts God has given us. God loves sex. But what God hates is a distortion of it. God loves sex so much. God loves you so much. That's why he cracks down on it so much. That's why he challenges you throughout Scripture. Don't go to sexual immorality. Don't go to lust. Don't go to anything outside of my created design. Because if you do, you won't experience joy. You'll experience pain. And you see that in your life. And you see that in our society. Most people, when they think about sin, even you today... As I talk about sin, as we talk about sin every week, in your head, the majority of you are thinking about sexual sin because so many of us experience pain in regard to sex. What's been done to us, what we have done to ourselves, and what we have done to others. So God, Solomon, is crying out to you and saying, sex is a good thing, but don't distort it because if you do, it will only lead to devastation. We see some of that devastation in verses 9 through 11. Look at those verses. We see a, a loss of honor, that you lose your integrity when you distort sex. We see a loss of years, that you lose your time when you distort sex. We see a loss of strength, that you lose your health. We see a loss of labors, that you lose your money. There's an economic devastation when we distort sex. We see in verse 11 that ultimately there's a loss of life. And this devastation isn't just in the book of Proverbs, right? This is today. 2012, our government put out statistics that one out of every three children live without a father. Now, some of that's due to death, some of that's due to other things, but one out of three? How much of that is due to a physical act void of commitment that when the baby's born, the father's nowhere to be seen, because sex was a cool thing, sex was an enticing thing, sex was an alluring thing. He was pressuring his girlfriend, come on, I have needs, you don't understand. But when things get real, he's nowhere to be found. One out of three, no father in the picture. The CDC, Center for Disease Control, put out a stat in 2013. Listen to this, this is mind-blowing. Approximately 273,000 Babies were born to teenage girls ages 15 through 19. Listen, that's in one year. 
273,000 babies were born to ages, girls ages 15 through 19. Listen, this doesn't even get into the abortion rate. This is babies that made it. 273,000 babies to a girl that's a teenager in one year. It's devastating. You might say, if there's so much devastation, why do we keep going there? Maybe you say that to yourself. Maybe you say that in the midst of lust, in the midst of pornography, in the midst of an emotional attachment. Afterward, you look at that and you say, why do I keep going there? I mean, it looked good at the time, it was enticing at the time, but why do I keep going there? It only leads to pain. It only leads to devastation. And you've seen it in your life and you ask yourself, why do I keep going there? It's because it doesn't look gross. At the time, it looks appealing. At the time, it looks enticing. And we see a picture of that in Proverbs chapter 7. Flip over to Proverbs chapter 7 in your Bible. You can look on the screen as well. Proverbs 7, we see this picture starting in verse 6. It says, For at the window of my house I have looked out through my lattice. I have seen among the simple, I have perceived among the youths, a young man lacking sense passing along the street near her corner, taking the road to her house. In the twilight, in the evening, at the time of darkness, and behold, the woman meets him dressed as a prostitute, wily of heart. She is loud and wayward. Her feet do not stay at home, now in the street, now in the market, and at every corner she lies in wait. She seizes him and kisses him, and with bold face she says to him, I had to offer sacrifices, and today I've paid my vows. So now I've come out to meet you, to seek you eagerly, and I've found you. I have spread my couch with coverings, colored linens from Egyptian linen. I have perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. Come, let us take our fill of love. Till morning, let us delight ourselves with love. For my husband is not at home. He has gone on a long journey, and he took a bag of money with him. At full moon, he will come home. With much seductive speech, she persuades him. With her smooth talk, she compels him. All at once, he follows her. As an ox goes to the slaughter, or as a stag is caught fast, till an arrow pierces his liver. As a bird rushes into a snare, he does not know that it will cost him his life. This paints a picture, right? This paints a picture of how a distortion of sex leads to devastation. That it costs you your life. You're like an ox that goes to the slaughter. Listen, it's a lie. This forbidden woman, this culture that we live in that distorts sex, it's a lie. It's a lie that says what this passage says, that you can enjoy a physical act void of consequences. You can enjoy, enjoy sex with no commitment. Come, get your feel. It's gonna be great. And listen, you won't get caught. My husband's not home. You're not gonna get caught. You're gonna enjoy this. Verse 16, I got a comfy couch. Right? I got soft sheets, really nice sheets. My bed, it smells great. It's all nice just for you. It's appealing. And if you are tempted for sex, and you are in distorted ways, you know this. It's appealing. It seems right. In the movies that you watch, in the magazines that you read, in the novels that you read, in the person that you flirt with at the gym or at work, it seems nice. It seems satisfying. It seems like maybe it's not so bad. That's what this forbidden woman is inviting 
him into. Listen, this is much like our culture. This is much like a movie that you would watch that would depict what they would call love. That this is love. This is what we pursue. This is what we soak up in our culture. But what we see in the scriptures is that this is not loving. This is using. It's why in the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 5, he's talking about walking in love. And then quickly he switches to sexual immorality. It almost seems like, Paul, what do you, why, why the switch, right? We're talking about love. Why you switch to sexual immorality? It's because those are opposites of one another. This isn't loving. This is using. Sexual immorality is not love. Don't be confused. Love says, I'm going to extend myself to care for another person. Sexual immorality and lust say, I'm going to take from you to use for me. They're opposites. Love is not the same thing as lust. And what we see in Proverbs 7 is that there's a pleasure with no regard for a person. That's this distortion that it paints for us. There's a pleasure with no regard for the person. And you see this in every aspect of our society. The editor of Esquire magazine in 2013 admitted that the women in the men's magazine were objectified. He said, and I quote, We provide pictures of girls in the same way we provide pictures of cool cars. It's ornamental. He says it's purely physical. He just comes out and says it. At least he's honest. It's purely physical. There's nothing else involved. It's not emotional. It's not spiritual. It's not a connection. It's using pleasure and experiencing pleasure with no regard for the person involved. That's what our culture says. That's what this picture paints for us in Proverbs chapter 7. And we see this in all kinds of ways. You see people go outside God's design and distort sex in all kinds of ways. Just this last week, Bruce Jenner, the Olympic gold medalist that a lot of us remember, came out, did an interview on ABC about his transition to be a woman. And Diane Sawyer's doing this interview, and she says to him at one point, she says, Bruce, if you were me and you could ask yourself one question, what would you ask? And he thinks about it, and he says, if I were you and tries to figure that out... And he's like, I think I would say, are you going to be okay? And so she asked him, she said, Bruce, are you going to be okay? And he paused for a moment. And he said, I think I'm going to be okay. I hope I'm going to be okay. And it was eerie, to be honest with you. I don't know if you watched this, but it was eerie because you could feel it. You could see it on the screen. You could see it in his face that he knew that he wasn't, that he knew that something had gone wrong. That something had gone wrong, horribly wrong in his life, and he was trying to fill that deep void, that deep spiritual void, with a physical change. And you could see that he didn't know if it was going to work, that he didn't know, am I going to be okay? Because something had gone wrong. Listen, as we look at Bruce Jenner, and I'm sure most of you did, and I did too this week, and just thought, why? Like, why would you distort sexuality so much? Like, why would you go so far outside of God's design? Why would you take this distorted view and way of sexuality and try to fill a void? Don't you know it will only lead to devastation? Many of us, we watched that interview, we heard about this, and we thought about that, and we had those thoughts ourselves. But how many of us 
We may not go the transgender route, but how many of us distort sex? How many of us go outside of God's created design in our lust, in our pornography, in our fantasy, in our emotional attachments? We look at somebody like Bruce Jenner and we're appalled, we're disgusted. But our own sexual sin, our own distortion, I said, that's not, oh, that's, the, that's totally different. But it's not different in the heart. It's going outside of God's design. It's saying it's just physical. It's just physical. Nobody gets hurt. I mean, I'm just looking at these images. I'm not paying for stuff. Nobody's getting hurt from that. I'm not hiring a prostitute. It's not that big a deal. Listen, it's a lie. It's a lie of the enemy. Everything that happens in your heart goes out to your hands. It's a lie. It's a distortion trying to fill a deep hole in your life with physical things that can only be filled with spiritual things, with things of God, with the way God created it. And that's what this picture paints for us in Proverbs 7. And we see, look at the verse, look later on in the passage. It says, like an ox goes to slaughter, that this distortion will cost you your life, that it's devastating, that it's not a game, that it will cost you your life. We see in this passage, we see in our culture, that sex is distorted, and when it is, it can be devastating. You see that in your life. But praise be to God, there's good news. There's good news even in Proverbs. You can flip back if you want to, or you can just look on the screen. We're going back to Proverbs 5. Starting in verse 15, we see how God's design and our desire can mesh beautifully for his glory, for our joy. Proverbs 5, verse 15, it says, Drink water from your own cistern, flowing water from your own well. Should your springs be scattered abroad, streams of water in the streets? He says, no, let them be for yourself alone and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth. A lovely deer, a graceful doe, let her breast fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always in her love. In these verses, you see God's design and you see your desire mesh in a beautiful, God-honoring way. This is God's design for sex. This is God's design that in marriage, sex can be life-giving. You see these terms, cistern, a spring, streams, a fountain. They're all a picture of life, right? That sex should be life-giving. It's good, right, and a gift. That's why 1 Corinthians 7 says, do not deprive one another. It's a good, beautiful thing that you should take part in if you're married. I mean, just think about it. I mean, just think about what sex is, that it's oneness, that you have become one, that two people and all your junk, all your past, all your present, all your future, that on that wedding day, you come together and you say, I don't want just the physical parts of you, but I want all of you. I want the physical, the spiritual, the emotional. I want it all. And you experience that oneness through the physical intimacy of sex, that you are fully known and fully loved. If you're married, and I hope that's what you experience, that sex is a gift, that it's a beautiful thing. But I know because of so many distortions in our life and in our culture, many of us sit here today and we wonder, is that possible? Like I've heard that before. I've read Song of Solomon. I've been to these conferences. I've read these books. But is it really possible? Is it possible in my life? 
I just think about my story. Um, nine years ago, almost, I remember talking to my soon-to-be wife about my struggle with lust, and it was devastating to her. And I would love to say that as we talked about that during our engagement, that we nipped it in the bud. I never talked about it again. I'd love to say that, but I can't. As we got married, our first few years of marriage, it was devastating. There was long conversations, there was tears, there was pain, there was insecurity, and we had to work through all of that. Some of you are married, you've experienced that. It was devastating. But listen, by God's grace, by the power of the gospel and the power of his Holy Spirit, God has redeemed and restored that in my life and in my marriage. And things are different now. We don't have a perfect relationship with sexuality, but things are radically different. God has redeemed that and restored that in my life. Listen, it's possible. It's possible to have this experience of sex. It's possible to not only view it healthily, but experience it in a healthy, God-honoring way. That as we talk about sex, and as we talk about letting her breast fill you at all times with delight, it's possible to read that and not be ashamed, but to read that and smile, right? Because God redeems sex. He redeems the distortion. He restores your relationship with sex, no matter how far gone you are, that you can experience it as a joyful thing, as a blessing, as a pleasurable, God-honoring thing in marriage. Some of you are thinking these sound like nice things. I mean, I, I want that. I want my desire to meet God's design. I want that to mesh in a beautiful way. What does that look like? We're gonna look at three things. We see God's design for our desire. The first thing is that we soak in wisdom. Proverbs 6 and 7 talk about this. It says, keep my commandments, treasure them, bind them on your fingers, write them on your heart. They will lead you, watch over you, talk with you. The voice of wisdom will speak against the voice of folly. Listen, we talked about this last week briefly, but man, I wanna invite you to read all 31 chapters of the book of Proverbs. To start now, it's not too late. You can probably still finish by the time that we're done. Read all 31 chapters. Soak in the wisdom of God. Memorize it, meditate it, write it on a card, put it on your mirror. Take the verses where you know you're weak, take those verses and put them where you can see them. Soak in the wisdom of God. Listen, if you don't do that, the voice of folly we see in Proverbs is loud. It says it's on every street corner. Like it's gonna speak to you, and it does, through billboards, through magazines, through books, through movies, through the girl at the gym, through the guy at work. It's gonna speak loud to you. You need wisdom, and you need to soak yourself in it because you may not realize it, but you are soaking yourself in folly every day, unless you just sit at home. And even then, you have the internet, right? You need to soak in wisdom so that that voice begins to speak louder than folly. Because if you don't do that, listen, we've already seen that voice is tempting, right? It's sweeter than honey. Like it tastes good. As you think about those things and those temptations in terms of sexual folly all the time, over time, it begins to make sense. It begins to seem good. We're like, oh, this kind of makes sense. Like you just look at life. Kind of makes sense. I have these urges, I have these cravings, I have these desires. And it will begin to make sense. You need the voice of wisdom to break through that lie and speak to you. You need to soak in wisdom. 
so that you know clearly that's the voice of the enemy, that's the voice of folly. I'm not going to go near that door. Soak in wisdom. The second thing we see is to resist first impulses. Just really practically, the basic premise of the book of Proverbs is that our actions have consequences. Right? We've been talking about that. Our actions have consequences. Listen, some things are going to bring pleasure for a moment, but it's not going to be worth it. Like down the road, two hours later, five years later, 30 years later, it's not going to be worth it. And so resist that first impulse. Listen, remember your past. Think about those times where you clicked there, where you talked to that person, where you went there. And you know that afterwards the guilt and shame you felt, the pain you felt, the hurt it caused you, and the hurt it caused others. And don't go back there. Listen, there were several ways it was helpful for me and my wife. I mean, we looked at books, we talked to other people, we got wise counsel from others, we looked at the gospel. But one of the most helpful things was just the practical, was just looking at the pain, the pain we saw in others. We planted a church in Austin, and one of our first elders that we installed six months into the game committed adultery. By God's grace, he restored that. It's a beautiful picture. We still talk to them today. He reconciled that. But it was devastating. And listen, as we gathered in a home, we had about 25 people. And honestly, some people were like, do we even continue? How do we process this? What do we do? One of our leaders has fallen in a significant way. How do we proceed? And we just said this, that the gospel is bigger than that, right? That the gospel restores, redeems, reconciles. And we got some other people in his life, some other people in our church's life. And we spoke wisdom. And by God's grace, I think it saved a lot of guys from folly. It saved a lot of guys because you see the pain, you see the devastation in other people's lives and your own life. Resist that impulse. It's not worth it. Don't go there. Proverbs 5 8. It says, keep your way far from her. Don't go near the door of her house. Notice it doesn't say, go hang out by the door, check out the texture of the door, feel the door, see how close you can get to it, but don't go in. No, it says, don't go near it. Don't hang out there. Listen, what is your door? What is your door? Is it a computer late at night? Is it a bedroom with a girl you're dating? Is it a living room? Is it a house? Don't go there. Don't see how close you can get. Guys are the worst at this. Like, I'm gonna look at the internet at midnight and I'm gonna think, how can I click on ESPN instead of this image? And I'm strong enough to click on ESPN. No, you're not. This scripture, wisdom says you're not. God says you're not. Don't go near the door. What is that door for you? You need to learn yourself to know that. You need to resist that impulse by not even going. You need to run. There were times when my wife and I were dating where we just knew things were gonna go too far physically and I literally, one time, I ran out the door. And I had to call and apologize, but listen, that was better than experiencing the pain and the devastation of a distortion of sex. Some of you need to run. If you're dating, and you think things are going too far, you need to run. You need to start the car, you need to floor it, you need to get out. Don't go near the door. 
If you're married and there's a girl at the gym, a guy at the gym or at work, you need to ask your boss. You gotta change departments. I need to be put in another spot. And they're like, why? I just need to be. You need to make that happen or I'm gonna get another job. And you say, well, that sounds extreme. Listen, if you don't do that, the results, the consequences are way more extreme. They're devastating. It'll cost you your life. You need to resist those first impulses. Do whatever it takes, run. The third thing we see is that we need to pursue God's design. Pursue God's design. If you're married, we talked about this, God loves sex. God loves you, God loves marriage. He wants you to enjoy it. You need to enjoy your spouse. Proverbs 5 says, get intoxicated with their love. My wife is 39 weeks pregnant. She could go anytime now. And I could just go running. Um, she's 39 weeks pregnant, but we still find ways to cuddle. Sometimes it's like this, but we find a way. Some of you who have been married for a year, six months, 30 years, you need to find a way. You have kids, and they're crying all the time, and they're sick all the time, and they're always coming up to you, you need to find a way. Put on Dora. You need to find a way to enjoy your spouse. Find a way. Plan it. Some of you who are single, you think that sounds weird. You don't have kids. <laughs> you need to schedule it in. You need to tell your wife, say, hey, how about Wednesday? You need to plan it. You need to have a date night. Listen, resorts and hotels aren't just for honeymoons. Like, they're for nights away. They're for you to plan to enjoy your spouse. This is a gift, right? It's a gift that so many of us, we have to laugh because there's so much shame. Listen, you can be naked and unashamed. That's how it was in the beginning. That's what God has created it for. That's what God wants you to experience. You need to pursue and enjoy your spouse, and you don't need to stop doing that. It doesn't stop on the wedding day. You continue to write her notes, bring her flowers, say nice things to her, learn her, listen to her, do the dishes for her. You need to continue to pursue your spouse. You never stop. It's a lifetime of pursuit. There's a picture of my wife on our wedding day in my office. And it's one of those pictures where she's kind of standing like this. And I, I keep that picture up in my office because every time I see it, I'm reminded of that wedding day. I'm reminded, I'm sitting in a, a place that kind of looked like this, to be honest with you. And I'm sweating and my knees are about to buckle and I'm waiting and it, I feel like it takes forever, right? Like, what are you doing? Like, Fix it, do it, get out there. And I'm waiting, and I remember the doors flung open. They start doing the music, and I saw my beautiful wife, just like she looks in that picture. And I begin to crumble, right? Like I begin, my knees did begin to buckle. I did begin to get a little wobbly. Something happened with my face. It began to spaz out a little bit. This salty residue in my eyes began to form, and I felt that pursuit had come to a culmination, this beautiful day where my wife and I would become one. And I keep that picture in my office because I don't ever wanna lose that image, right? I need to always pursue my wife like that. It didn't stop when I said I do, it just begun. And I get, hopefully, 
10, 20, 30, 40 years to pursue my wife, to continue to do that, to continue to get weak in the knees. Men, you need to pursue your wife. It never stops. Continue to pursue her. Enjoy her. And listen, I think this is a big thing, especially for married couples. Work with your spouse, not against. Listen, if you know Jesus, here's the beautiful thing. If you know Jesus, he or she is not your savior. Jesus is. He or she is not your identity. Jesus is. Maybe they've sinned against God sexually and sinned against you. It's not easy, but by God's grace, by the power of the cross, you can have forgiveness and grace for that person. And maybe you're thinking, well, you don't realize what they've done. Maybe I don't, but God does. And he paid for it on the cross. He's your savior. He's his savior. He's her savior. Have an umbrella of grace. That's the beauty of Christian marriage, right? You both know a savior. You're not each other's savior. They don't have to be perfect. They, they shoot for pursuit. They shoot for God's design. But when they screw up and when they already did, have an umbrella of grace. Work with your spouse. Listen, don't leave here and interrogate your spouse. Don't be giving them nudges. Work with your spouse, not against your spouse. You guys are a team working together for God's glory, for your good, in regard to sexuality. Work with your spouse. And then if you're single, if you're dating, you need to pray for a mate. Listen, some churches, some books will tell you, like, kiss dating goodbye, like, just be single, just wait humbly before the Lord, and a mate will appear out of nowhere. Maybe sometimes that happens, right? I don't know. But God gave you this desire for a mate, right? You need to pray for it. God knows your heart. You can't play it all cool and be like, I'm just serving God. See what happens. God knows that's not true. Like some people he gives that to, but listen, I heard a pastor say one time, you don't know if you have the gift of singleness until you're single for your whole life. And then you know you have that gift. So pray for a mate. Let God know your feelings. Let God know your thoughts. Let God know, God, I want you to satisfy this in my life. I want you to bring a girl, a guy into my life. I want you to bring this guy that I'm dating to a place where he actually asked me to marry him. Pray for that. Tell God things. You can be honest with him. Listen, if you're single, especially if you're dating, learn wisdom from other couples. Grab some married couples in our church. I'm looking at a few of them right there. Grab them after the service. Say, I want to take you out to lunch. I want to take you out to coffee. And I just want to learn. So you can learn wisdom and what it's going to look like in marriage so you don't have to experience distortion and devastation. Like get some other married couples in your life and say, how can we do this better? How can we do finances, physical stuff? How can we do spiritual stuff? What does that look like in your life? Teach me through it. I know you're not perfect, but would you take some time? And can I ask you some questions? Cultivate friendships. Get around other people. The church is a great spot for that. Cultivate friendships with other people of the opposite sex. And then when the time is appropriate, men specifically, pursue. Pursue. If you're dating, pursue. Be direct. Be direct. Some of you say, well, that's risky. Listen, you shoot guns. You ride motorcycles. Some of you jump off cliffs. You can ask a girl out to dinner. 
be direct, pursue. Don't leave her wondering. Don't say, well, she, she probably already knows. No, she doesn't. Talk to her about it. Pursue, be direct. And then serve. Some men are like, man, what do I do? I got all these urges, I got all these desires, I got all these cravings. What am I supposed to do with all that? Serve. Listen, every 8 a.m. on Sunday morning, you can come lift stuff for Jesus. We need help with our setup team. We just lost a few people. It's like Julian Ruades lifting everything by himself with Mark Salonga. All right, we need some help with that. Come and serve. Get that energy out. Cultivate in your job. Serve other people. Find people in our church. Find people in your community who are in need and serve them. Use your time in a productive and healthy way. That's what you do with all that energy as you pursue a mate. Some of you may be thinking, these are nice steps, but I need more than that. You need to know that there's a story of a guy named Hosea in the Old Testament. God sends this guy Hosea to a woman who has whored herself out, a woman who is broken, seemingly beyond repair. And Hosea buys this woman back. He redeems her and he restores her. And he says to her in Hosea chapter three, he says, you are mine and I am yours. Fast forward to the New Testament. This guy named Jesus, the son of God. God the father tells Jesus the son, I want you to go in that culture that's whored themselves out. I want you to go to those people that have whored themselves out in every way imaginable, in sex and in every other idol you can think of. God the father sends Jesus to that culture, to that people. Listen, that's every person in this room. That we have whored ourselves out for a distorted view of sex that's outside of God's design. But God the Father sends Jesus the Son into that mess and he dies for it on the cross, past, present, and future, and he buys you back and he redeems you and he restores you, and he restores your sexuality. And he says to you, you are mine, I am yours. As we look at the book of Proverbs, chapter five and seven, they paint this path that leads to death, to Sheol, the place of the dead. They talk about this path, and some of you are here this morning, you'd say, I feel like I'm way far down that path. I've wrapped myself up in addiction and adultery, and I'm not sure where to turn. Some of you would say, I just, I dabble in and out of that path, in and out of that path, in lustful thoughts, emotional attachments, the books you read, the websites you look at. And you dabble in and out of that path. You think I flirt, sometimes it's more than just friendly, if I'm honest. You think my thought life is corrupt. I may not go all the way in adultery and fornication, but I definitely dabble in that path. Listen, Jesus meets you wherever you are. If you're way far down that path, if you're dabbling in and out of that path, Jesus meets you wherever you are. In the Gospels, we see three accounts of Jesus raising people from the dead. And what's interesting is that they're all different. At right, first, you have Jairus' daughter in Mark chapter 5. This little girl passes away, literally, and someone goes and gets Jesus, and they say, you gotta come, and Jesus comes, and he raises her and restores her to life. I gotta think her face still had color in it. She probably looked okay on the outside, but she was dying 
on the inside. And Jesus restores her to life. The second one you see is this young man in Luke chapter 7. Jesus is walking into a town. He sees a funeral procession going by, and Jesus breaks it up. He says, I'm shutting down funerals today. They ask him what he's doing. He brings this guy to life. He restores this young man to life. He was dead, clearly. There was a funeral procession. Jesus says, no, I'm shutting that down. I'm bringing this guy back to life. The third one you see is Lazarus in John chapter 11. He had been dead four days. He's in a tomb, and his sisters say, Jesus, don't even get involved. He's too far gone. It's too late. In fact, there's an odor in there. There's a stench. He's so dead. You don't want to go in there. And Jesus says, no, you don't know my father. I'm the resurrection and the life. And he brings Lazarus back from the dead and restores him to life. Listen, I don't know where you are in regard to sexuality this morning, but Jesus brings all types of dead people to life. Maybe you're dabbling in that folly. Maybe you just step in and out of it. Maybe you feel like you're going 100 miles an hour and you're way far down that path. Jesus can redeem you and restore you. That is what he does. That is why he came. He came to buy you out of your distortion and bring you to life and restore you to his created design. That's available to you this morning. Some of you, if you're honest, you would say, there's still some color in my face, that things look okay on the outside, but on the inside, I'm dying. That what's been done to me, that what I've done to others, It's killing me inside, and you're like that little girl. Jesus wants to restore you to life. Some of you are like that young man, and you're clearly dying. There's no looking good on the outside. You can't make a good appearance anymore. You can't fool people. You're clearly dead. And you say, I'm struggling. I need help. Jesus wants to take you and restore you to life, back to his created design for sex in your life. Some of you are like Lazarus. You feel like, I'm way too far gone. I've gone too far. I can't turn back now. There's too much in my life, in my past, in my current, in my present. Listen, Lazarus was dead four days. There was an odor. And Jesus restored him to life because that's what he does. And that's what he wants to do with you this morning. He wants to take your distortion, redeem it, restore it back to life. So that you can experience his beautiful design for sex. God's not withholding that from you. He wants that for you this morning. Turn to him. He will give you life. Let me pray. Father in heaven, I thank you for this morning.